everyday injustice. Too many wrongful convictions, corruption has infected the criminal justice system. Leaving too many people helpless, fighting for their lives instead of receiving justice, people suffer. Is that why they say justice is blind? Hello and welcome to the Everyday Injustice Podcast. I'm your host, David Greenwald. For the past 10 years, we have operated Vanguard Court Watches in California, including San Francisco, Sacramento, and Yolo counties. Our goal? Expose everyday court injustices, and now, more broadly, shine a spotlight on injustices in the entire criminal justice system, in the form of wrongful convictions, police and prosecutorial misconduct, and mass incarceration. This podcast hopes to take it a step further and highlight criminal justice reform on a national level. Everyday injustice. Today on Everyday Injustice, we have Joanna Weiss from the Fines and Fees Justice Center. A few years ago, um, this was not really a big issue on my radar, but then I attended a couple-day symposium at the John J. College, and I learned a lot and became very concerned about this issue. So welcome uh, to the show, Joanna. Thank you so much for having me. So uh, can you describe a little bit about what uh, the Fines and Fees Justice Center does, and then also um, a little introductory into uh, this uh, specific topic? Sure. Um, uh, maybe it's actually, if you don't mind, I'm going to reverse that and talk a little bit about the topic and then talk about how we address it, because I think it might be uh, easier to follow. Um, so when Michael Brown was shot by police in Ferguson, Missouri in, in 2014, and the city erupted in protest, um, night after night, I, the pain of that city was really palpable. And I think when, you know, when the dust settled a little bit um, and the Department of Justice went in to investigate what was happening between the community and the police department of Ferguson, what they learned was that you couldn't look at just the police department without looking also at the court system, the municipal court of Ferguson and city hall itself. Because what was happening was um, whenever there was a hole in the budget, city hall was turning to the police department and telling them that they had to write more tickets in order to fill those budget holes. And then prosecutors had to prosecute those cases and the municipal court was there to generate revenue for the city of Ferguson. At the time that Michael Brown was killed, they were generating in the neighborhood of 15 to 20% of the total revenue of the town of Ferguson from fines and fees. Um, and because they were issuing more and more fines and people weren't able to pay them, they had to do more and more draconian things to try to collect this money, like issue bench warrants and throw people in jail when they couldn't afford to pay their fines and fees. When the Department of Justice investigated, they found that in this town of 21,000 people, there were more than 30,000 open bench warrants. Those are warrants for people's arrests, almost all connected to unpaid fines and fees or missing a hearing date about the payment of fines and fees. Um, and so 
what became clear also after Ferguson is that this is not a problem particular to Ferguson. This is happening across the United States. Um, and just to give a little bit more clarity what I'm talking about with fines and fees, let me give a couple of very brief definitions. When I talk about fines, um, we're all familiar with a speeding ticket or a parking ticket. Um, a fine is a punishment uh, for violating the law, a monetary punishment for violating the law. Fees are something a little bit different. Fees are revenue raisers. They're basically like taxes that have gotten attached to every touch with the criminal legal system. So depending on where you live, you can get a fee for a booking fee, a prosecution fee, um, a fee for your public defender, that free lawyer that you get if you are too poor to pay, that does not mean you will not actually be charged for it. Um, in some places you are charged basically room and board for every day that you're incarcerated. You can be charged for your own probation, your own parole. Um, sort of throughout the system, any touch that you have with the criminal legal system, you may be forced to pay fees. And the consequences for non-payment are the same as fines. Depending on where you live, your driver's license can be suspended. Um, or you can even be arrested and incarcerated. You can also lose access to your job. You can lose access to healthcare. You can lose access to all sorts of things. There's all ways that we punish people to try to collect money um, that is disproportionately imposed on people who have the very least money. And so from there, I, I would love to talk a little bit about what the Fines and Fees Justice Center does to try to address this problem. Um, when we launched, there was work happening around fines and fees around the country, uh, but there was no national organization that was actually focused on this issue. And so we created the Fines and Fees Justice Center really to do three things that we thought would accelerate the fines and fees justice reform movement around the country. And first is just to provide information. Um, we built a clearinghouse where you can look up um, sort of any topic under the fines and fees umbrella and find um, litigation, research, um, legislative reform, pilot programs, anything about fines and fees reform around the country. So that if you are a policymaker, an advocate, a grassroots group, an impacted person or the media, you can really get a sense of what kinds of fines and fees reform are happening in your community um, or across the country on a topic that interests you. Um, the other thing we really tried to do is create a replicable model for change, uh, for comprehensive reform. So we hired staff in particular states. We have started with, we're in four states right now. We're in New York, Florida, New Mexico, and Nevada. Um, and in those states, we uh, lead or join campaigns to address the fines and fees problems in those communities. Um, and we do not do any of this work alone. We build coalitions um, with sort of all interested partners, but especially with community groups and impacted people to make sure that we are addressing the fines and fees problems that are causing the most harm um, and that the community really wants to reform and that we are finding reform solutions that are actually going to address the needs of the community. Um, but the idea is to sort of build on wins um, so that we get to the bigger conversation, which is how do we get fees out of the justice system? How do we make sure that any fines that are imposed are imposed and collected equitably? And the ultimate question of how do we fairly fund the justice system and government so that it is not on the backs of poor communities and communities of color? 
And then finally, the third thing that we do is we really act as a national hub on this issue. So we provide technical assistance to fines and fees reform efforts around the country. Uh, we build national coalitions to try to provide the tools and resources that groups around the country need in order to move reform. Um, a perfect example would be our Free to Drive campaign, where we have tools and resources and provide technical assistance to campaigns to end debt-based driver's license suspensions around the country. So I want to uh, kind of focus this discussion because I feel like uh, this is such a broad topic that if we just skim, uh, we're not going to really get to the meat of it. And so I'm going to kind of focus on, on two things. One is what the problem is rather than necessarily how we're going to solve it. And then the second thing is I want to really focus more on vehicle fines rather than some of the other fines and fees. And I have reasons for both of those. Uh, but a big thing, and, and this is kind of my frustration, like when I watched uh, everything in New York a couple of years ago, it was really obvious to me. And, and I was probably primed and, and really receptive to this. But when I talk to other people, they don't really get this issue. And they, you know, they're just like, well, if you can't pay the fine, then don't commit the crime. Um, which, you know, sounds good, right? I mean, you know, I'd like to not uh, get a parking ticket, but sometimes, you know, you get a parking ticket or sometimes you drive a little bit too fast and you get a speeding ticket or you didn't realize how fast you were going. I, um, that happened to me not that long ago, unfortunately. And, you know, I paid my $300 and, you know, took a deep breath and uh, sucked it up. But, you know, I'm relatively well off compared to a lot of people uh, that get sucked into the system. So I guess I want to start with, you know, what is the impact of these fines and fees on low-income people. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a really um, a great focus because I think it sort of explains the problem more broadly. So talking about this in the traffic context is, is, is sort of a perfect microcosm for the biggest problem. Um, so there's a few problems. Uh, the first one is who is getting the tickets? Um, and because of the nature of policing and because of the over-policing in low-income communities and especially in communities of color, um, it's not like we all get speeding tickets at the same rate. If you live in a community of color, your odds of getting that ticket and getting a fine assessed against you are significantly higher. And, and just to give an example of this, uh, Philando Castile, um, who's a black man who was killed by police in Minneapolis, he had been pulled over uh, 47 times in a 14 year period and not for moving violations or anything that was even visible. They were all really crimes of poverty. Um, and what happens is in those 47 stops, he was issued um, over 80 citations and some that, a lot of them were garbage. Um, so he actually managed to get half of them dismissed by the court, but even the ones that weren't dismissed, he owed over $7,000. Um, which he could not possibly afford to pay. Um, so his license kept getting suspended and then he would get pulled over for driving on a suspended license and so on and so on with no way out of this constant interaction with police, constant stops, constant ticketing. Um, and the 48th time he was pulled over, he was shot and killed. Um, so I think part of it is that 
if we cared about the issues that we are stopping people for, we would stop people equitably. This wouldn't happen only in low-income communities and communities of color. So that's the first problem. The second problem is um, what I was describing in Ferguson, where there is a perverse incentive to use our public safety resources, our law enforcement, our prosecutors, and our courts to raise money instead of to address public safety. So if we look at what are the serious public safety issues in a community, that's not necessarily what people are getting the most tickets for. Um, because the easiest thing to do is keep pulling people over in their cars for anything, even on a pretextual stop, and then issuing tickets and then relying on that money to fund government. And if you think about that, what we need then, if we are relying on this money to fund government, it means that in order to balance the budget, we need there to be more crime. That makes no sense um, and leads to terrible perverse incentives and leads to a tremendous amount of distrust between communities and uh, the whole criminal legal system from police through courts, prosecutors, um, and so on. So we're really disrupting being able to use our justice system to dispense justice. Um, instead, we are turning our justice system and we're turning law enforcement into tax collectors, um, which is not what they are good at and not what they are meant to do and leads to tremendous, tremendous problems. So it, it seems like, you know, um, and not to make light of uh, getting shot and killed by the police, but you know, that's probably uh, an extreme outcome, but the more likely outcome uh, are kind of, uh, they end up in debt, um, they end up losing their vehicle or their ability to drive. Um, and uh, in some cases they end up incarcerated. Uh, so can you talk about kind of each of those? Sure. Um, you know, when we started looking at the issue of driver's license suspensions at the time, there were 44 states where if you couldn't afford to pay off your fines and fees, your driver's license was suspended. I will say over the last three years, we've made a lot of progress and there are fewer states doing this, but still in more than half the states, if you cannot afford to pay fines and fees, your driver's license is suspended. And that creates a host of problems, um, both for people who get tickets, um, but also for government and the criminal legal system. So if you get a ticket and you cannot afford to pay it, you are faced with two impossible choices once your license is suspended. Either you stop driving, which means you can't access work, healthcare, childcare, any of your basic necessities. Or you do what most people do, you have no choice but to continue to drive um, because you absolutely cannot function in most parts of this country without driving. The next time you are pulled over, you are charged with driving on a suspended license. That is a misdemeanor in every jurisdiction. Um, that means you will be assessed more fines and fees that you can't possibly pay. Um, you will have a criminal record and you may go to jail. So just on the basis of poverty, of not being able to pay a ticket, um, you know, a simple traffic ticket, which most people will get at some point in their lives, the consequences if you are poor is that you'll get a license suspended and you are likely to end up with a criminal record. And just to give you a sense of the scope of this, um, in places where licenses are suspended for unpaid fines and fees, you will find looking at the criminal docket in those places that driving on a suspended license is often the number one, two, or three most common criminal charge you will see on the docket. In New York, um, which we've 
now had some reform in New York, but prior to that, um, driving on a suspended license was the number one most common criminal charge in Buffalo, in Rochester, and throughout Long Island. This is literally leading to mass criminalization of poverty and contributing to mass incarceration. Um, and we're doing it over things that have nothing to do with public safety, because whether or not you can pay has nothing to do with public safety. Um, it has to do with poverty. And so the system is now taking something that is unrelated to public safety. And when you're unable to pay, sucking you into the criminal legal system with no way out. And people can't get their licenses back for years and years and years, leaving them out of the mainstream economy and leaving them at risk of further entrenchment and jail. And can you discuss a little bit more the ramifications for uh, losing your ability to drive? Because I get a lot of people and they say, well, you know, you can just take the bus. Um, why is that not a good solution? And why do people not do that? Um, I mean, first of all, in most places, there simply is not the public transportation to access your basic needs without a driver's license. There simply isn't. This is not how this country was built. It is a driving country. Um, and in most places outside of big cities, you just simply can't. The other problem is about a third of jobs in this country require a valid driver's license. So even if you could take the bus to work, you will lose your job um, simply by getting your license suspended. And in fact, in research shows that somewhere between 40 and 45% of people lose their driver's licenses, uh, lose their jobs when they lose their licenses. Um, there was a study in Phoenix, Arizona that looked at a license reinstatement program in the city of Phoenix. They found on average, um, for people who are participating in this program, on average, people lost $36,000 in income by having their licenses suspended. Um, and they found when they reinstated just 7,000 licenses, not only did people get jobs um, and get better paying jobs, but that they projected it would actually infuse $149 million into the economy of Phoenix because so many people were able to get back to work um, and spend money and take care of themselves and their families. Um, and then, you know, some of the very good uh, investigative uh, reports have talked about how simple fines have led to just tremendous, probably lifelong debt. Uh, can, can you illuminate some of those stories? Sure. Um, and again, I am, I'm going to do it with, with data as much as I possibly can, uh, because that's sort of where um, my sweet spot is, is really evidence-based um, decision-making in, 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 in good policy. Um, there was a study done in, um, in Alabama by Alabama Appleseed where they surveyed about a thousand people who, were, who had criminal justice debt. And they found that when they had it, about 88% of people had to give up basic necessities um, in order to pay their fines and fees. So gave up paying rent, getting hospital, getting, getting medicine, food, um, really basics. What they also found is that 38% of people admitted to committing another crime in order to pay off their fines and fees. That the consequences of non-payment were so severe um, that people actually committed a, another crime. And so often these were actually simple traffic tickets and that the risk of your license suspension was so bad that people turned to selling drugs or selling their bodies to avoid 
the consequences of non-payment of this kind of debt. Um, there's also a study that just came out um, of North Carolina that found a very significant number of people were facing evictions as a result of this kind of debt. This kind of debt compounds and derails people's lives. We know, according to the Federal Reserve, that even before the pandemic, about 40% of Americans didn't have access to $400 in case of an emergency. I suspect um, with a lot of the, um, the support that came during the pandemic uh, sort of drying up, that we're gonna be in much worse straits very soon for many, many people. Um, that means that now um, a simple traffic ticket can actually derail someone's financial stability. And, and it's true for a lot, a lot of Americans. It's not sort of a, you know, a fringe thing that, you know, the poorest 5%. We're talking about a very significant number of people where that simple traffic ticket, you talk about a $300 ticket, that that is actually enough to derail someone's financial stability and that of their families. I believe it. Um, so I, I do want to ask this question, even though I said we were going to mainly focus on the problem, but but this is part of the problem. So it, let's say you're getting like pulled over and you have a broken taillight. And so you're given like a fix it ticket, uh, which you don't have enough money to deal with. So it becomes a fine. Um, and, and And some people will say, okay, uh, I understand that, but if, but that's a safety issue too. If you're driving without a broken, ta uh, without one of your taillights working correctly, somebody might not see you and uh, and crash into you. So that could be a safety risk. Without fines, how do you get basic compliance for uh, for for laws? Anything from you know um, parking tickets to speeding tickets to fixing your broken taillight. Right. Um, I think for things like equipment violations, if we're actually concerned that a broken taillight is a safety hazard, um, why aren't we helping people fix this? Why are we using our police to stop people, to criminalize people? And by the way, in most places, there's no fix it ticket. You get a ticket, you owe money for that broken taillight. Even though once someone has a broken taillight, the chances are that they have the money to pay a ticket are very, very low considering they can't afford to fix the broken taillight. But why wouldn't we invest that money instead in helping people fix the broken taillight if we're really concerned about it? Um, there are great ways to get compliance that don't involve enforcement. This is a very American idea that every problem can be solved with more enforcement. Um, and in this case in particular, it really makes no sense. If we are taking crimes that are associated with poverty, and I say crimes in quotes here, if we are taking issues that are associated with poverty, enforcement is going to be a very bad technique. Uh, monetary fines is going to be a very bad technique to get people to comply. Why can't we have a one day clinic every month where people can go in for free and get their taillight fixed if we actually care about this? Um, you know, I, I think there are a lot of better solutions out there that would involve a lot less enforcement. And, and in other places in the world, they simply don't do things this way. This is, this is pretty American. So we just uh, ran a uh, submitted piece a couple of weeks ago from one of the public defenders in Alameda County, where Oakland is, um, and um, basically unforgiving uh, towing fines. Um, and so, you know, basically what, what's happened is that um, people get their car towed, 
uh, they can't afford to get it out of tow, and so they end up losing their car. Um, and so there are a whole bunch of issues around this. You would think, oh, you know, this is kind of, uh, you, you would not think that this is as deep an issue maybe, uh, well, I'm sure you do, but I wouldn't have thought it was as deep an issue as it was. Um, so, so we start out, you know, first of all, the, uh, what happens to people when they lose their car, which we've already kind of discussed, but, but also, um, you know, what they found is that 62% uh, of traffic violation fines were issued in black neighborhoods. Uh, neighborhoods that are 70% or, or, or more Black residents. Um, so you have this hugely unequal justice. Um, so maybe maybe we can start there. Sure, and I think you've, you've touched on several important points here. Um, so I wanna try to respond to each of them. Um, I think one of the reasons that this is something that many people may not think is a big deal, in part because this doesn't happen to people in power. Um, people in positions of power who get a ticket or get their car towed, um, it is a rare event that it happens. And when it does, they can afford to pay the fine and walk away and never think about it again. Um, so there's two things that are happening. Um, one is it's an invisible problem uh, to people who have money. Um, and the second thing is it's not happening very often to people with money. The problem is the people it's happening to over and over and over tend to be the people who have um, the least voice and say in, in how we set policy, which is a big problem, um, and are going to suffer terrible, terrible consequences because this was built with heavier and heavier punishment for non-compliance because there's no recognition that people can't possibly comply. They don't have any money. Uh, in San Francisco, they looked at the towing problem. And, and there's a group in San Francisco, it's called the Financial Justice Project. It's part of the treasurer's office in San Francisco, um, looking at issues of sort of the economic impact of, of policies in San Francisco. And they discovered this towing problem that there were a whole lot of cars that were never getting retrieved at all. Uh, the towing fines are very expensive in, in, um, in San Francisco. And what they found is that, um, a lot of cars were never picked up and they tended to be older cars. Um, and so it was clearly that people who didn't have a lot of money um, couldn't afford to get their cars out. And so they've restructured how towing works uh, and had significantly reduced costs of retrieving your car of towing fines if you are a low income person. Um, and when they did that, um, they actually, it did not impact their collections rates because people were actually able to pay and get their cars back. Um, so it ultimately saves the whole city a whole lot of money where they have, they're actually storing all these cars and paying some private company to store cars, which is not what they want to be in the business of doing. Um, and it got people to actually be able to get their cars back and get back on the roads um, and function legally. Um, you know, the problem of the disparate enforcement though is, is very difficult to address. And I think we have to look at all of the kinds of fines that we're issuing and figure out, are we actually issuing these to everyone in the community? And if we're only issuing them or very disproportionately in issuing them only to communities of color and people of color, um, really deciding whether or not these are actually public safety issues that we care about. Because if there's no equitable enforcement, I really have to question how much we are really worried about this as a public safety issue at all and really reducing how many things we criminalize um, in our communities. What 
is the leading cause of getting some uh, their car towed? Is it unpaid parking tickets or what? I am afraid to answer that question because I suspect it is not the same in any, you know, in communities across the country. And um, that could be very different in Alameda than it is in New York City than it is in a more rural place where you could be like, there could be snow removal issues. I, I think that varies so much that I, I would not attempt to answer it because I could so easily be wrong. <laughs> and, and how do you respond to someone who says, well, there's a simple solution, just avoid getting yourself in the position where your car gets towed in the first place? Um, you know, for the people who say, you know, don't do the crime if you can't do the time, I mean, they're ignoring the fact that all of us commit crimes every day. I'm sorry, but every time we get behind a wheel, at some point, you are going slightly over the speed limit. You did not come to a complete stop at the stoplight. You did not um, signal before you turned your lane, you know, before you switched lanes long enough. Everyone breaks the law all the time, um, but only some people are held accountable for it. Um, and, and if we were held accountable the same way, I might have a different response to this, but we aren't. Um, and I know that every time I get in the car, although I try to be a careful driver, I break the law. And if a police was following me for 10 minutes, he could certainly, or she pull me over for something. Uh, the difference is I almost never get pulled over. Um, and if you are living in a community that is very heavily policed at some point, you will give someone grounds to pull you over. Um, so I, I really take issue with, with that response um, because we are all committing crimes. Unfortunately, we are all human and uh, are not perfect when we are behind the wheel or, or in any other part of our lives. Um, and you do not have to be um, a criminal to have violated some law at some point. And when police are around you constantly, the odds of you getting a ticket are just very, very high. So I got tell a brief story, uh, which actually uh, starts out not seeming to relate to this issue, but it, it ties into it. Um, so my wife and I, you know, 10 years ago, uh, became foster parents, and we had to go through all, all these county programs and stuff like that. And there were times when we had to access services. And, and so we'd go into the county office, and we'd have to sit around and wait for like, several hours to fill out all this paperwork and get all this stuff going. And then we'd have to go over to the, uh, across the street to the health uh, center and, and sign, sign up the child through that so that they got their health care. And I looked at my wife at one point and I go, you know, can you imagine you're a working poor person and you've got to access these services and, and, and you're missing work to, to, to sit around all day? Who could actually do this? I mean, you know, anything from Medi-Cal to, uh, uh, to, you know, the, the vouchers and everything. And this is the same problem that fines and fees have, because if you get, let's say you got a speeding ticket and you can't afford to pay that $300, well, what do you do? Well, you, you go down to the courthouse um, and, and you make, payment arrangements, except that guess when that's available? Oh, nine to five when I have to be working. So now, you know, you can uh, either take off time from work and lose money, or, or you can just put it off, which is, I assume, what most people would do. And, and then you end up getting behind the eight ball there, right? 
I mean, we're, we don't set this stuff up for people to be able to access it. Absolutely. And, and this is sort of the license suspension issue we were talking about before. You know, the other scenario that we see all the time, um, frankly, if I get a traffic ticket, I'm never going to court. I'm paying it by mail online. I'm done with it. I never think about it again. Um, the only people who have to show up in court are people who can't afford to pay it. Um, they have to go to court. And if they do not go to court, depending on where they live, their license will be suspended and they can even have a warrant for their arrest put out for, non, for not showing up for a traffic ticket. Um, a traffic ticket, which nobody thinks you belong in jail because you got a traffic ticket and yet for poor community, in poor communities, it's happening all the time. We actually just worked on this issue in Nevada, which is one of 13 states where every traffic offense is a criminal offense. Um, and what they found in Nevada is that um, when the courts closed down for COVID, in the Las Vegas Justice Court, which doesn't serve the city of Las Vegas, it serves unincorporated Las Vegas, so just the areas surrounding the city of Las Vegas, there were 270,000 open warrants, okay? Almost like about 80% of them were connected to traffic offenses. Um, and so the next time anyone is pulled over who has one of those warrants, they're going to jail. On average, they were sending people to jail for 60 hours on a traffic ticket, either because you missed a hearing or because you didn't make a payment on a payment plan. 60 hours, two and a half days in jail. That is enough to lose your life, uh, to lose your job, to potentially lose your home. Um, it is so destructive over a traffic ticket. It's happening all over the country. And so Nevada actually just addressed this issue. The legislature said, we got to get these traffic tickets out of the criminal system. And they, and they made them civil infractions the way we see in some places, um, in many places. And that's going to get hundreds of thousands of warrants off the books. In 12 other states, this is still gonna be happening. Um, and it states throughout the West, it states uh, throughout the South and, um, and actually Maryland as well is doing this. I, you know, but for everywhere, even if it's not a criminal offense, that non-appearance um, in a hearing, which again is only required for people who are poor, that non-appearance um, can result in a license suspension, which is your ticket to never-ending involvement in the criminal legal system and debt that you're never going to get out from under. So, I, I mean, we, we come back to this point time and time again, but the, this is a class-based issue that, uh, you know, the, the people that are fairly well off, this is really a non-issue. Okay, I, I got caught with my hand in the cookie jar. I'll, uh, I'll pay my little fine and I'll, I'll, I'll try to drive slower for a few minutes and, um, you know, go about your life. Um, but, but for working class people, for the poor, uh, this is a huge issue. And then the second half of this, uh, which we've hit on several times, is the racial component because there's uneven enforcement. So, you know, part of why this conversation has come up is that we're having this discussion now, how do we stop pretext uh, policing stops? And, and part, of, uh, part of the proposal is to eliminate, um, you know, the police's ability to stop somebody simply because they have an expired, uh, you know, license plate or um, because their taillight is out, uh, you know. They can, uh, you know, if you're speeding, obviously you want to be able to pull somebody over 
um, because that, that really could be a safety hazard. Um, but, but the other stuff is, uh, you know, stuff that you can deal with another way. Um, and, you know, so, so we're getting into these issues, but the big thing is police are pulling people over, not because they're trying to enforce these, these minor laws, but rather because they want to see who they got. Uh, you know, they want to run that license plate. Do they have a warrant? Um, you know, uh, do they have drugs in the car? Hey, let's search this car. This car looks suspicious. Why does it look suspicious? Oh, well, the person looks a little suspicious because they have dark skin, right? Um, so, so those are the issues that, that we're, we're dealing with. But on the back end are all these fines and fees that nobody's really paying attention to. Right. I mean, and one solution is, is um, we probably don't need armed police to do this kind of enforcement to begin with. Um, this is probably a bad use of their time. Um, and we, and in many countries, it's, it's not armed police who are doing uh, traffic enforcement at all. Um, and you know, in England, one of the things they do is they actually look at um, what are they enforcing over? And it's not just pulling people over for any kind of traffic violation, but actually focusing on the issues that are causing public safety hazards in the communities and focusing only on those issues and not pulling over people for any other reason that's really uh, not harming public safety and not an issue that's leading to uh, accidents and, and um, pedestrian or vehicles homicide and, and death. Um, you know, we should be using our public safety resources resources for public safety. Um, and we should not be using our public safety resources to raise revenue. And when you do, it has, it has devastating results. Um, and if you want to get policing out of pretextual stops, um, have them get out of the business of traffic enforcement, because uh, it doesn't need to be done by them. So we're just about out of time, but, um, you know, maybe, um, I mean, maybe the last point is actually kind of uh, the take home point here, but, you know, kind of wrap it up and, uh, and give us some thoughts about what we could, what we could do in the future to make this better. Yeah. And I think, you know, the good news is a lot of this stuff is now moving across the country. There's growing recognition across the political spectrum that this is a terrible way to fund government. Um, that we are doing harm to communities and it is a really toxic source of revenue um, and sort of the most regressive tax scheme um, almost that we can imagine. And so there's a number of solutions uh, that we're seeing happening across the country right now. One is to stop suspending licenses. We don't, we shouldn't be suspending licenses for anything other than dangerous driving. So if you, you know, you may suspend a license because somebody is driving drunk or they have so many points on their license that suggest that they are a reckless driver. There's no other reason that makes sense to suspend a license because keeping people off the road should be reserved for people who are a danger to the road. Um, we should not be issuing warrants ever for non-payment of fines and fees. We shouldn't be incarcerating people ever for non-payment of fines and fees. Not only is it a constitutional violation, um, but we are harming communities irreparably. irreparably. Um, the other thing is that all these fees that we've talked about, um, the fee for prosecution, the assessment that gets added onto every ticket, all those things. I mean, in California where you are, you know, a simple traffic violation has a $100 fine and $390 in fees. We are literally funding government on the backs of people who are pulled over in traffic stops. 
who we know are disproportionately poor and we know are disproportionately black and brown. So the next thing to do is get all of the fees out of the traffic and criminal legal system. They do not belong there. Government is serving everyone and needs to be funded by everyone, not on the backs of people who are most likely to be pulled over by police. Um, so that is an easy fix. And then on fines, we really have to make sure that they are equitably imposed and equitably enforced. And that means looking at the code and figuring out do we actually think this is a public safety issue that is being enforced upon everyone because we actually are worried about this? Um, and if it's not, we should be getting it off the books and stop issuing tickets for it entirely. Um, and for those areas where we issue fines, we should be considering someone's ability to pay so that that fine has the same deterrent value for me as it does for somebody who earns the minimum wage as it does for Bill Gates. Um, we should be letting people pay over time with payment plans. And for people who don't have money, we should also be letting them substitute something else for payment. Because simply trying to go after money from people who don't have any makes no sense. Um, we put out policy guidance around the proper way to think about ability to pay payment plans and substituting community service um, in ways that are equitable. And this we vetted with groups around the country and, and practitioners around the country to make sure we were finding something that would actually work for a community and address some of the problems. It will not address the problems of disparate enforcement and those need to be dealt with as well. Um, but in terms of actually making tickets um, where we need to have them that people can actually pay, there are solutions and there are better ways that we are not doing right now. Well, great. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, this is, you know, a really fascinating topic. I just feel like too many people are not aware of it. We do. And it's, I mean, when we talk about the driver's license suspension issue, we just looked at around, we got data from about half the country and we found 11 million suspensions. I mean, this is something that is plaguing and disrupting the lives of millions and millions of Americans. And it's simply invisible to too many people. But I, I think the tide is turning. And I think this is something that we can actually fix in our communities. Joanna Weiss from the Fines and Fees Justice Center. Thanks for coming on the show. This has been Everyday Injustice. I'm your host, David Greenwald. Join us again next time for more tales from the injustice system. Thank you to George Powell and Norman Mousequake Barrett for the use of our opening, Everyday Injustice. You can see more of George's music at www.justiceforgeorgepowell.com. That's justiceforgeorgepowell, all one word, dot com. <laughs>